I'm glad you're here today. Uh, we're beginning a, a new series, and it's called Chill. We're talking about how to win over worry. Worry, it literally means a state of anxiety or uncertainty over actual or potential problems. Anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Stress, a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or very demanding circumstances. So listen to me this morning. Who in this crowd doesn't know what it is to experience some level of worry, anxiety, or stress? The truth is, we all do. And that's why this truth from Philippians 4 and the verses that we're going to talk about in this series hit home to all of us. Many of you have experienced these three things that I just mentioned on some level already today. (laughs) Maybe before you even left your house this morning. (laughs) Some of you say, preacher, I experienced that just trying to get my kids ready for church. Some husbands say, preacher, I experienced it just waiting on my wife to get ready and come out to the vehicle. Some of you say, preacher, we experienced stress and worry even on the way here because we had a big argument over something before we even pulled in the parking lot. Some of you, even as you sit in this room, you have a sense of dread and worry, anxiety and stress about you right now. Do you know that anxiety can greatly contribute to certain physical and physiological issues? Sleep disorder, eating disorders, digestive issues, IBS, headaches, panic attacks, shortness of breath, shaking, nausea, Rapid heartbeat, dizzy spells, high blood pressure, and on and on. And they say it even affects our olfactory nerve. According to research revealed in the Journal of Neuroscience, people with anxiety disorders tend to label neutral smells as bad smells. So we can safely say that anxiety and stress and worry makes your life stink. And it really does. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, listen to this, that one-third of all Americans will experience some type of anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. We know that everybody experiences anxiety. All these legitimate issues are associated with other greater, far-reaching, deeper issues like PTSD. That is very real. Depression, phobias, social conflicts even, medical issues, sleep deprivation, and so many other things. Someone said once, and I quote, that worry is my worst enemy. It's an enemy I unleash on myself. What's the opposite of all this? What's the opposite of worry? What's the opposite of stress and strain and tension and anxiety? Well, I want you to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. What a verse. What a promise. And the peace of God. Stop right there. The peace of God, 
What is the peace of God? The peace of God is the inward tranquility of soul granted to us by the Lord. It's the peace, watch this, of God, which means that it's from Him. And then the Bible says that the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, and it does pass human understanding. Notice what God said His peace does. It shall keep your hearts and minds. In other words, it'll guard. I like that word. That's a that's a good word. It literally carried the idea because these Philippian Christians lived obviously in the city of Philippi. Philippi was a Roman garrison. It was a Roman colony and they had Roman soldiers every so often around the city perimeter watching, guarding 24-7 all hours of the day and night. And it's the very same word and it's a reference And a word picture that the Holy Spirit wanted these Philippian believers to get in their mind that the peace of God will act like a guard or a soldier. And the peace of God will keep back anything out of your spirit that threatens to damage it and harm it. He said, in the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep, guard, rule, Act as a sentry in your hearts and minds. And here's the key phrase, it's through Christ Jesus. <laughs> it's not through human effort. It's not through uh, 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 secular error. It's not through trying to analyze something to death. It's, it's, it's all empowered by Jesus Christ. And I have to say this at the very beginning, that it is... It begins when we're rightly related to Jesus Christ. Because this this life, this victory over worry is impossible unless you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm talking to some folks this morning and I want you to know how deeply, how deeply you are loved. Not just by our church, but by the Lord himself. But I say this to you today, it is impossible for you to ever have victory over the anxiety and strain and worry and stress in your life, you doing it in your own power. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you can't be rightly related to yourself until we're rightly related to Jesus Christ. And you can't rightly handle the circumstances that come at you day in and day out and know what to do with those until we're rightly related to the one who is peace, the personification of peace. And so it begins with you giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ and being saved, being his child. Because, gang, that opens up the floodgate for every other provision and blessing that God has for you. And so smack dab in this chapter is verse 7 where God guarantees his peace. Every verse in the Bible, though, is in a context. That means that there are other verses before and after that are connected with that verse in some way. Verse 7 doesn't just stand alone. It may be a mountain peak above the others, but I'm going to say this to you. Every word of God is inspired, and every word of God is practical, and every word from God is here on purpose. And so we have to look at the surrounding context of verse 7. And I love how the Lord lays this out. He gives us, it's almost like that He gives us in these surrounding verses 
the key to having the peace of God in verse 7 in our lives. You see, Philippians was written to a group of persecuted, beleaguered, strained, stressed believers. In fact, look at chapter 1, verse 28, if you would. Paul is admonishing them, and he's talking about his own imprisonment and the difficulties that he has had in preaching the gospel and taking the right stand. Verse 28, he says, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. In other words, he's saying, uh, uh, verse 28, uh, it, it, it means don't be affrighted. Don't be fearful. Here's how we would say it. Stop being scared. That's what these Philippian Christians were. They were timid. Spooked. Feeling the stress and the pressure of the outward threat. But Paul's told them in verse 28 of chapter 1, he said you're letting the outward threat affect your inward emotions. You say, Christian, that's hard not to allow that. Yeah, you're right. What Paul is saying is, hey, 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 don't be disquieted in your soul. Don't be anxious. Let everything settle down. So what steps do we take to experience this peace? Oh, go back to chapter 4. How can we really chill? (laughs) Like, preacher, I'd love nothing more than for my inward... Spirit to be like that picture right there, just complete calm. Little breeze blowing, little rest. Hearing the sound of the of the waves lap up against the sand. I mean, man, who wouldn't like that? Some of y'all, some of you, your inward sense of peace is, I mean, you can envision, you may not be a, an ocean person, you might be a mountain person. Man, if I just, some folk, boy, if I could just get to the mountains. I just get up in the hill, and I mean, just just be there, and just man, there's something about being up away, and well, you know what I mean. It's that it's that sense of peacefulness in your soul. How in the world can we? Well, God gives us the prescription that will lead us closer to His peace. Look at verse seven, what He says. So, verse seven is situated in the midst of these surrounding verses, full of practical instructions and steps to take. Go back up to verse four. So, let's begin in verse four which explains the very theme of the entire book. It's interesting the themes already mentioned in chapter 3, verse 1. Notice what Philippians 4, 4 says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. The repetition here where Paul says, hey, you rejoice in the Lord always. And then I'm going to tell you again, rejoice. It expresses that it's not easy at times for the believer to be joyful. (laughs) Well, what's joy? Well, joy is a deep down confidence in God that he is in control of every single thing in your life for your good and ultimately for his glory. And remember, the joy that he's speaking of here is not the same joy or happiness that the lost world feels. It's different. It's different. So let's talk about this. Because he says, I want you to make the choice, verse 4, I want you to make the choice to rejoice. 
So first of all, know with me that our choice to rejoice is prescribed by a clear command for every Christian. Rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Now, is God wasting words? No, friend. God never wastes any words. He always says what he says for a reason and on purpose. Now, without getting hung up in the technicality, I do want to get technical just for a moment. I want you to listen. How it's stated in the original language is in the present active tense. That means this. It means it's an ongoing, perpetual choice. Ongoing. It means it's one I make. God has given me the capacity and given you the capacity to make the choice to rejoice. And he says, it's one that I want you to keep on making. Today, make that choice to rejoice. Just a little bit. When you get out and get in your vehicle and go home, make the choice to rejoice. This evening, make the choice. Tomorrow morning, make the choice to rejoice in your stressful day on Mondays. And man, how many of you love Mondays? Even on Monday, make the choice to rejoice. All the time, make the choice to rejoice. It's a command. That means it's not optional. That means if I don't make the choice to rejoice, then I'm being a disobedient Christian. No, it's just, well, that's not a big deal, preacher. It's not a big deal. I mean, it's my own business. It's not a big deal. I'm just in a bad mood. I'm just, ah, it's not a big Oh, God says it's a big deal because if I refuse to do it, he says I'm living in disobedience. It's very interesting that God gives us the ability to make that choice. So first of all, we learn that our choice to rejoice is prescribed by a clear command for every Christian. Number two, notice, it's very very interesting. Our choice to rejoice is produced from God's infinite supply of resources for whatever we need. Now, notice what he says. He says, you rejoice not in your own self, not even in your circumstances. But he says, you rejoice in the Lord. You rejoice in God. Now, what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? See, because God alone is our constant and perfect and unchanging source of joy and cheer, he's our very reason to rejoice, by the way. He's the only one and only thing we can truly rejoice in. Rejoice in Him. Well, I'm having a bad day. Okay, rejoice in Him. Well, my circumstances are crazy right now, preacher. But rejoice in Him. He doesn't change. He doesn't vacillate. He's not fickle. He doesn't wear out. He doesn't go on vacation. He doesn't cut you off. He's always listening. He's always with us. He's always in tune. He's always knowledgeable perfectly about everything that's going on and everything that we need. Rejoice in Him. Why? Friend, look at all the resources from the Lord at our disposal. His power, peace, protection, provision, pardon and forgiveness of sins, and an infinite list of other things that God gives us as his children that are at our disposal. And all those things are found in him. If he's your God, he's your Savior, he's your Redeemer, he's your Father, he's your friend, he's your King, he has promised you, ladies and gentlemen, that he will give to you every single thing that you need all the time. 
flaw in spite of circumstances, in spite of how you feel. You and I can make the choice to rejoice in the Lord. We choose joy and we choose to make the choice to conscientiously rejoice. Why? Because God still has everything that you need. In spite of your circumstances, in spite of how you feel, in spite of the mess that's going on right now in your world, he hadn't changed. Yeah, preacher, you don't understand. So-and-so, they're being, I mean, just, yeah, but God hadn't changed. Yeah, but oh, preacher, you don't understand what the doctor just told me. Oh, your body physically may be breaking down and changing, but God never changes. Preacher, you don't understand. My best friend hurt me, but no, no, God never changes. So we can rejoice in him. I like what one writer said. Listen, he said spiritual stability is directly related to how a person thinks about God. You see, if you have a strong and a high view of God, you'll be more prone to understand that his infinite resources never wear out and go away. I want to ask you, how big is your God today? How strong is your God? How reliable is your Lord? He's right with you right here, right now. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I do want to encourage you today. Hey, gang, I don't know what's going on right now in your world. I don't know what circumstances you're battling. But I can tell you this right now, that God is greater than any of our circumstances. He's even greater than our own emotions. You're like, preacher, I don't even know how to make sense of how I'm feeling. You know the glorious thing about that? You don't even have to make sense out of it. God's greater than all that. And he knows. Let's let's get our minds focused back on how great and good and powerful and awesome the Lord is. You see, he's our source, not our money. He's our source, not our health. He's our source, not even your spouse or your children. He's our source. And the reason we have joy right now and forever is because of him. And he hadn't changed. And he's not about to. And that's why he said, you can rejoice in him still. Yeah, but my fa- you rejoice in him. Yeah, but my health, yeah, my finances, my situation, this relationship and this issue and this battle going on within, now all those things are irrelevant with if you understand that God is constant and he doesn't change. He promised you he'd be for you everything you need. And that promise doesn't change, change because of our circumstances. That's why you can choose to rejoice. I remind you of 1 Samuel 3 verse 6. And David was greatly distressed. And they were trying to kill him, by the way, his own men. But watch this. But David encouraged himself. How? In the Lord. Psalm 84, 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. In other words, every single thing that you need today in your life, God is, has those available handed to you right now. All you have to do is claim it. Receive it. 
Matthew 6, 28 through 33, And why take you thought for your clothes, your raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things, even before you ask Him. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What's Jesus saying there? God's going to take care of you. God has every resource you need. He's going to give it to you in ample supply and then some. And then when you need some more. He says he gives grace for grace. John chapter 1. You come back to him, and when one supply of grace is running out, here comes another right behind it. That's for you. So finally, I close with this. Our choice, our choice to rejoice is pertinent to every situation in life. Now, go back to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. That's not exactly what it says. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. Rejoice in the Lord when you got a raise. Rejoice in the Lord when things are going groovy. Rejoice in the Lord when you're going on vacation. Rejoice in the Lord when you're eating a good meal. No, no, no. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Now, I'm going to tell you what the word always means. You ready? Always. 24-7. That means in spite of anything that's going on, the choice to rejoice remains the same. God's promises remain the same. God's command remains the same. It's always, at all times, in every circumstance, it's continuous. It's not occasional. It's not circumstantial. Go one place, then we're going to pray. Acts chapter 16. Go to Acts chapter 16. The Apostle Paul was in the city of Philippi. What a dink. It's the same city where he's writing this letter. It's the same church that was birthed out of these events right here. Somebody tell me, where was Paul in these verses? Look at verse 23. Acts 16. And when they had laid many stripes upon them. They're not talking about military promotion there. He's not talking about stripes on the sleeve. He's talking about stripes on the back. (laughs) They beat the stuffings out of Paul and Silas. They used a rod. And they beat them in the back. They laid many stripes on them and they cast him into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. You know what the stocks were? It was a wooden instrument or an iron instrument, whatever they could find, where their feet were a certain distance apart, and they actually uh, forced them to connect their hands with their feet. It was a very uncomfortable 
position to be in and they were there during the duration of their prison stay. So they're in these dank, dark circumstances, painful, uncomfortable circumstances. Notice what the Bible says. Verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas, they prayed and they sang praises unto God. They sang praises unto God. Wait a minute, Christian. They're beaten. They're in stocks. They were falsely accused. And their big crime was just preaching the gospel. And they start praying. And they start praising. Not complaining, but praising. And lifting their voices. And singing songs. Psalms. Probably the word of God set to music. And they're singing and singing and singing. And they're rejoicing and they're praising Jesus. And they're thanking God for his character. And thanking God that he doesn't change. And thanking God that his provision is theirs right there even in the prison cell. But I want you to notice what verse 25 says. Watch it. And it says, and the prisoners heard, heard them. Wake up and listen to me. Watch me right here. You know what the word heard means there? It literally means like they would be seriously listening to a concert. Paul and Silas didn't know they were they were presenting a concert. <laughs> they had a captive audience there in the prison. And those other prisoners who didn't know God, they did know that Paul and Silas were beaten. They did know that they were put in the stocks. But in the midnight hour, they heard some things that were a testimony to the other prisoners. And instead of hearing complaining and frustration, instead of hearing moaning and groaning and bewailing, they heard two men that made the choice to rejoice. And I say this to you today in closing. You never know who's listening and watching when you make the choice to rejoice. And God can take your test and turn it into a testimony. He can take your trial and turn it into a blessing. He can take your situation and turn it into a sermon for somebody else. If you make the choice to rejoice. You may not be able to automatically change your mood (laughs) or eliminate the stress or make that black cloud float away. But we can all choose to rejoice in the Lord instantaneously and in every setting, season, and moment. So what's the takeaway, Brother Christian? First of all, listen, here's what you and I can do. Claim and appropriate God's limitless supply of resources for you. What do you need this morning? You may not even know for sure, but there's one that does, and he's already promised to give you what it is. Claim it. Claim it. Appropriate it today. 
You need patience. You need grace to forgive. You need direction. You need energy. You need stamina. You need joy. He, whatever you need, he has it ready just for you. Number two, remember that you still have the ability to choose how you react to things. You don't have the ability to choose circumstances. You don't have the ability to choose what comes into your life. But we all have the ability to choose how we're going to react to it. Number three, at the very first sign of anxiety in your spirit, right then, right then, call on Jesus for help. Right then. You feel yourself getting discouraged and becoming stressed and anxious, get into the practice and the habit of right immediately saying, all right, Lord, help me, Jesus. Help me, Lord. You may not even have time to bow your head and pray, but right instantaneously in your spirit. See, God understands heart language, and he understands the posture of the heart. Right where you are, just say, Lord, Help me right now. Calm me. Help me. I claim your peace.